Well, good morning. My name is John Sherrill. I'm a pastor here at, at Fifth. If you're a guest with us and we haven't met, I look forward to connecting with you. Um, Brian mentioned that little tear-off tab on the bulletin uh, for those, those of us gathered here. And if you're worshiping with us online, there's a little uh, digital version of that. We'd love to know that you joined us online too. It's just to the left of the video box in which you're watching this service. And uh, feel free to fill it out if you'd like. We'd love to get to know you. We're continuing a sermon series that's taking us through the Gospel of John. And we're slowly working our way through the entire book. Uh, holding in mind that the great truths of the Christian faith are fundamentally different than the claims of really every other spiritual belief in the world. And what I mean by that is that the claims of Christianity about Jesus fundamentally are historic in nature. They're not just ideas that somebody has floated that say, hey, we think you should believe this idea because it's better than all the other ideas. Our faith is founded on historical claims, namely Christmas and Easter. You know, that the incarnation and the resurrection, that God actually came to earth in the person of Jesus and lived, died, and rose again and is alive right now for us. Again, not metaphors. You know, with, with all those believers around the world who affirm the tenets of the Apostles' Creed, we believe in the resurrection of the body not just a spiritual kind of nice thing to think about. We believe that Jesus is alive right now. So with with all of that in mind, the Gospels call us to respond. And the Apostle John was very clear in stating his purpose for why he wrote the Gospel of John. Look at it again. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the Apostle John is unapologetic as to why he wrote. He's basically saying, hey, look, this stuff actually happened. And Jesus is inviting us to respond. So through this whole series, we're holding in mind that idea of responding to Jesus in, in faith, Biblically, that means placing our trust in him, not just believing things about him in our head, right? And this week, we're looking at the middle of chapter 11, where Jesus issues another of his great I am statements. In this chapter, Jesus tells us that he is the resurrection and the life. And Jesus makes it clear, as we'll see in the context of the story, that even in our most challenging times, most difficult times of life, he is the one who pursues us, who gives us new life, and who weeps with us in our pain. So let's listen to the scripture. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. 
Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved them. But some of them said, could he, not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jennifer. In his very good book on a very difficult topic, Suffering and Evil and Pain in the World, D.A. Carson begins by sharing five incredibly tragic stories, just gut-wrenching. Story number one, followed by a question that will repeat. Where is God? Story number two. Where is God? And so it goes. Then he makes this observation. There are millions of ordinary Christians who hold that God is omnipotent, that God is perfectly good, and that suffering abounds in the world. At many stages of their experience as Christians, they do not feel that there is a problem. They have brief theological answers that satisfy them. Suffering is the result of sin. Free will means that God has to leave people to make their own mistakes. Heaven and hell will set the record straight. Or perhaps they have not really had to think about these matters much at all. They know God loves them and that is enough. Why bother your head about things you cannot understand, let alone improve? And then something takes place in their own life that jolts them to the core. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. The the four days part is significant. Back in Jesus' day, the rabbinic tradition taught that a person's soul would linger for three days after death, but that on the fourth day, the soul departed. It's the last day. So saying Jesus or Lazarus had had been in the tomb for four days was, was saying that he is He's dead, dead. 
he's gone. No earthly intervention will ever change that for him. It's too late. It's done. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Martha and Mary were the sisters of Lazarus, if you're less familiar with this story or didn't pick that up as we read it. And they just had experienced one of those um, life situations that jolted them to their core. Their brother died. It was day four. He's gone, gone. And no earthly intervention will change that. And those two sisters embody two very typical reactions to very difficult things, to the gut-wrenching losses in life. Go to God or avoid God. Martha went out to meet Jesus. Mary stayed at home. No value judgments, just an observation here, right? When things get hard, we either go to God or somehow try to avoid God. I know I've experienced that. I imagine you have as well. Martha went to God with a complaint. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Where were you, Jesus? Because if you had been here, this tragedy could have been avoided and my brother would still be here. So where were you, Jesus? I mean, you must have wondered that yourself at some point. I I know I have. We all have if we've lived long enough to encounter difficulty. So, So call to mind some of your most difficult, disorienting, painful experiences in life. Did you find yourself, like Martha, assuming God was absent? in that moment? If you did, don't worry, no, no condemnation. Rather, you find yourself in quite good company because a full third of the Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible, are Psalms of lament, where in one way or another, the same message comes out. Where is God? Most often directed to the Lord, so where are you, God? Because it sure feels like you're AWOL and nowhere even close to me right now. Where is God? And like Martha, I'm reading this in a little bit, not totally clear from the text, but like Martha, we can begin to feel a little resentment, can't we? If you had been here, Jesus, this wouldn't have happened. The subtext seems pretty clear. Do you even care? Jesus, because you were just like right over there and if you would have come here, this wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't be suffering the way I am right now. And see, that's what happens when we begin to give in to that little whisper that says, God's really not there when you're suffering your deepest, most difficult thing. See, the whole passage today is about that very real angst 
and, and tension we experience in following Jesus because bad stuff happens. Right? People we love die. In fact, everybody we love will die. Tragedies occur. Things take place in our lives that jolt us to our core. If you haven't experienced this yet, just wait. That train's coming. And and one of the historic understandings of what churches do, one of my understandings of my role as a pastor, is to help prepare all of us for that day, that moment, when that train arrives, because it will arrive. And to Martha, a woman jolted to her core by the death of her brother, Jesus said this. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. What? Jesus, come on, you're breaking rule number one of how to care for people who are suffering. Don't throw theological concepts at him. They're hurting. Just be present, give them a hug, love them. But Martha comes out to Jesus and says, Lord, if, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus' first response, your, your brother will rise again. What? But we'll see that Jesus is setting Martha up for a greater truth. Martha and Mary were good Pharisees. Uh, grassroots, uh, real-life believers, right? Unlike the Sadducees, they believed wholeheartedly in a resurrection at the last day. So Martha's response to Jesus' theological concept was predictable. Martha answered, I know he will rise again at the, in the resurrection at the last day. And again, I found myself wondering how she said this. What was the tone? How did it come out? You know, Was it with a I know that, Jesus, and why are we talking theology when my brother just died? Maybe, maybe it was like that, maybe not, I don't know. So just to get the whole story in our minds again, Lazarus died, beloved brother of these two women. Jesus seemingly was absent, and then he showed up too late on the fourth day. You know, Lazarus is dead, dead, he's gone, never coming back. And the first thing Jesus said pointed to some future hope we have in the resurrection at the end of time. Martha says, yeah, I already know that, thanks, but I'm hurting now, right now. Then, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? You see what Jesus did there? He took Martha's future hope of the resurrection and brought it into the present, the right now, right in front of her. He's responding to her affirmation of faith when she said, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And in effect, by saying, I am the resurrection and the life, he says, I am that resurrection and that life. And suddenly... For Martha, you know, new life from God, resurrection, is no longer a distant theological concept, but a person with a face and a name standing right in front of her. 
See, Jesus was saying real life from God is here right now. And then he goes on to talk about living even though we die and avoiding death altogether by believing in him. And to understand that next part, you have to understand that the Bible makes a distinction between physical death to this life and an eternal death or, or, or separation from God. It's the second Jesus came to save us from. So when Jesus says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die, he means the person who trusts Jesus will have eternal life even though they die a physical death. And then when Jesus says, whoever lives by believing in me will never die, he means the person who trusts Jesus will never die an eternal death or be separated from God forever. Now, let's never lose track of the great truth that Jesus was very clear in saying that he came to save us from something. And that every person everywhere needs that. After making these stunning claims about life and death and resurrection and what trusting him means for people, he asks an incredibly important question of Martha, as it is for us. Do you believe this? And I've got to believe the emphasis was on this. Do you believe this? Meaning, I already know that you believe in a resurrection at the last day, Martha. But do you believe this? that I am that resurrection and life standing right before you right now and that the one who believes in me will live even though they die. Do you believe this? Jesus wasn't about to make those statements and not call for a response, right? Again, the whole purpose of John's gospel. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. Response. Revelation and response. God reveals things to us. We're called to respond. And the response he's looking for, for from us is a, a transfer of trust. I've, I've done it multiple times in this series. Well, I'll do it again. John, I'm going to borrow your stool real quick. I can believe all day that that stool would hold me. But right now it's not. The biblical concept of faith is this, me actually putting my weight down, my full self on everything that Jesus has done for me, his life, death, and resurrection, which is what this stool represents. When I'm standing over here, I can believe all day long that the life, death, and resurrection that Jesus himself could hold me if I chose to place my trust there. But right now, it's not holding me because I'm standing over here trusting in my own life. It's a transfer of trust, right? That's biblical faith, so you get that. That's the response that Jesus is looking for. That's what Jesus means when he looks at Martha and says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? See, Jesus is the only one who gives life. We'll come to chapter 14 in a few weeks where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I remember as a new believer, I thought, well, that's kind of, kind of rude, very exclusive. What about all the other religions of the world? Kind of leaves them out. But, but then as you, as you begin to understand that the claims of Christianity are historic in nature, that God did something in the world, that makes this different from all the other religious claims of the world. So if Jesus really was God in the flesh, and if Jesus really did rise from the dead, it is 
abundantly clear that he really is the way and the truth and the life. Not because any human being says so, but because this was something that God did for people. Jesus is the only one who gives life. But gladly, he doesn't present it as a, as a kind of take it or leave it offer and, and turn away from us. Right? Jesus doesn't make the claim and then head back to his heavenly office just to see who's going to respond, who'll pick up the phone and call. Right? He pursues us. He pursues us even, maybe even especially, in our times of greatest suffering. It's particularly important if we're, if we're serious about knowing who God is. Look at this. After she had said this, Martha that is, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Remember, when Jesus arrived, Martha went to him. Mary stayed back. The two responses, go to God or avoid God when we're hurting. Right? But you see, God doesn't abandon those who are avoiding him. Instead, he asks for them. This is about God pursuing those who are avoiding him. That's really good news because I, I, know you know, I know you've avoided him because I know I have avoided him. God pursues us when we're avoiding him, a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. We see it right after the fall of Adam and Eve way back in Genesis. I mean, this, this idea that God is chasing after people pursuing us. Jesus told the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin for the very purpose of illustrating how God calls an all-out search for people because that which he lost is incredibly valuable to him. So he's searching, he's seeking, he's pursuing. That, that great truth prompted Francis Thompson to write his well-known poem, The Hound of Heaven. God is like the hound of heaven on our heels. See, Jesus is the only one who gives life, and Jesus is the God who pursues us. So the lesson for us is this. When you hear the teacher asking for you, get up quickly and go to him. Or in Bible language, you know, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Because we have a choice, right? The teacher is asking for you. So Jesus is the one, only one who gives life and the God who pursues us. And he is also the God who weeps with us. Look at this. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the other Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. That, that phrase deeply moved in spirit and troubled is, is one that's rather difficult to translate from the original language because the words convey not only a sense of grief but also anger. And like we, it's difficult to put that together in our minds. Grief and anger happening at the same time. So it's very clear that Jesus was having some kind of very unique and very powerful emotional experience. So, so what is this all about? Some people argue that Jesus was angry at the mourners for their lack of faith, but that doesn't seem to jibe with his tears, right? Grief, anger, and tears. What, what's really going on here? 
I like to think it might go like this. Mary, along with the other mourners, wept at the loss of a brother, a friend, a dear colleague. On seeing this, Jesus naturally felt something of their grief and was moved by it. But in that same moment, the full importance of the work he came to do collided in his spirit with the reality of death and the pain of people he knew and loved. I I can just envision it, can't you? In that moment, the tears already welling up, Jesus setting his jaw and thinking, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And in his full humanity, Jesus came face to face with the very power he had come to destroy, death. Because you see from the beginning to end in the scripture, God is all about life. God created life out of nothing. God sustains life. God was so concerned about our fall from the kind of life he originally intended, he sent Jesus to restore life, renew life, grant abundant life, and give eternal life. God is all about life. And at that moment, with Mary and her friends crying, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the creator and sustainer of life, experienced the full implications of sin, pain, suffering, and death. He was grieved by the darkness that brought it about and allowed it to continue. And he was mad, angry that death could have such sway that the world was so distant from its created intent as in the Garden of Eden before the fall. And Jesus experienced the full crisis of a dying world, the full contrast between life and death, and all that that means for people he knows and loves and cares deeply for. He was grieved, he was mad, and he wept. He wept. There are a whole lot of bad ideas spinning around out there about who God really is. Christians believe that if we want to know who God is and what God is like, we should look at Jesus. And the reason we read the Bible and the reason we keep reading the Bible is because we need to keep hammering that into our thick skulls. What is God really like? This is what God is like. Deeply grieved by the brokenness in the world. Pained to his core that it impacts people he loves. And that's not just everybody else. That's you. That includes you. Jesus is the only one who gives life. Jesus is the God who pursues us. And Jesus is the God who weeps with us. And the most important question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because that same Jesus who pursued Mary even though she was avoiding him and wept with her at the death of her brother is pursuing us. Wants us. 
fully and finally. He invites us to trust him, not just because we should, but because it's a better way to live and there's more life in it for us because it's true. Because these things really happened. I mean, these, these truths are true all the time, but they are especially helpful when we're hurting and wondering, where is God? Jesus is the only one who gives life. Jesus is the God who pursues us. And Jesus is the God who weeps with us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for your patience with us. For as the scripture states, we know that your patience is intended to bring us to salvation. I thank you for your patience with us. Uh, please help us grasp the things that you have said and the meaning for us of all the ways you interacted with Martha and Mary upon Lazarus' death. Uh, we ask in your name, Lord. Amen.